there, I'm Leslie Goodburn. You're listening to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. In the podcast, we look at pancreatic cancer across its impacts, outcomes, and future treatment and support. We'll hear from patients, loved ones about the reality of the diagnosis. We'll hear from surgeons, oncologists, and nurses about the work they do to support people who are affected. We'll hear about the wonderful work done by researchers to find a breakthrough in understanding and treatments for the future. We hope that as a result of the podcast, you'll learn more about the signs and symptoms, about how this diagnosis affects the family, about the hope for the future. Thank you for listening. Charlotte and I look forward to you joining us on our journey through pancreatic cancer throughout the 30 days of November with contributors from across the world. The Purple Rainbow podcasts are produced as part of Seth's legacy in memory of my wonderful, kind, curious, funny husband, Seth Goodburn. Welcome to today's episode. I'm Charlotte and today I'm talking with Nicola Day. Now I'm going to let her tell you what she does rather than try and do it myself because as she fully admits, it's a bit of a mouthful. I am a clinical specialist physiotherapist in oncology rehabilitation and exercise, which is a, a little bit of a, a bit of a, a mouthful. Um, but I'm based at Adambrooks Hospital in Cambridge, and I head up something called the REACT team. So REACT stands for Rehabilitation and Exercise During Adambrooks Cancer Treatment. So hence it's called REACT. And that was something that I set up back in 2017. Um, I was already specialising in, in cancer rehab. So the the one-to-one side of things. But at that point, there was lots of research coming out about the potential benefits of of keeping well, keeping active, participating in exercise during cancer treatment. Um, And so what we now do as part of the REACT program in Cambridge is we offer physiotherapy input, rehabilitation and exercise opportunities to, to cancer patients. And that might be right from their point of diagnosis. It might be during their treatment. It might be once treatment's finished and they're in that recovery phase. It's also for those patients with with advanced disease, those that are living with incurable cancer and and possibly those that are also moving towards towards end of life. Um, I think one of the the key things about our service is that we we do um, we do include all tumour types, um, whereas some around the country are very specifically for just breast, prostate and colorectal. We do take the whole spectrum of, of cancer, of oncology and haematology. So we have patients with pancreatic cancer, which is what we're here to talk about today, um, breast cancer, prostate cancer, colorectal, the non-solid cancers. So that's the haematological cancers like myeloma, lymphoma um, and, and leukemia, and then things like brain tumours as well all all come under our our service so how did you get involved in all of this what's your background so actually i i specialized in women's health to start off to start off with and that actually stemmed from an experience as a student physio um i was placed very last minute on an oncology and hiv placement in london which was quite unusual it was cobbled together um very very quickly because something else had been cancelled um and i just i just really enjoyed it um when i was down there and and um, enjoyed looking after the breast cancer patients in in particular and then when i came up to cambridge um the women's health rotation that i was on technically covered the breast cancer patients here in Adam Brooks and um, it was very apparent that 
they didn't really get offered anything. So anyone that did have any um, shoulder problems following surgery, nothing was particularly done about it at that that stage and so I piped up and you know said well actually we're in London and this is what they do and there's a whole service and they're like all oh, right okay um well go oh, you know you can run with that um and so and so I did really and as much as I did a lot of antenatal postnatal and normal gynecological um things as well as part of women's health my interest really was in in oncology and that just spiraled really so you know as soon as you, you're taking on the breast cancer patients then the gynecological cancer patients come on and then women's health expands into men's health and we start taking on the prostate cancer patients and then because I'm dealing with patients that have problems post-radiotherapy then all the head and neck patients start to come through as well and it just just went from there and my my caseload became almost exclusively um, cancer related and I was I was fortunate to be able to do my master's it was in in oncology rehabilitation um, and go out to the states and do some do my cancer specialist qualification cancer exercise specialist qualification over in the states as well as one over here in the UK later on wow what a journey that sounds like yeah absolutely so but no it's it's great it's a really rewarding area I think sometimes people do think that it you know cancer rehab is 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 doom and gloom and maybe it has been in the past but actually there's a very different take on it now and it is very very positive it's about keeping people living well with with their disease and you know into survivorship as well when I hear people talk about having physio it's usually because they've injured themselves in some way so they've broken a leg or broken a bone or they've been in an accident or something something's happened and they need a physiotherapist to help them do that Mm -hmm. so how does physiotherapy fit into cancer treatment? Well, I think this is probably one of the things that I like the most, actually, is that it is just so varied. You're not just treating one one part of the body. It could be anywhere, you know, from your head down to your to your toes. Um, so in terms of the, the face-to-face physiotherapy and the rehabilitation that we do, that might be dealing with someone, as I gave an example, you know, a breast cancer patient who has had a mastectomy and then has had radiotherapy over that area might be experienced experiencing quite significant dysfunction in that in that upper limb so they might need hands-on therapy they might need exercises or you know hydrotherapy acupuncture um you know we, we use electrotherapy as well for some some patients as well um for other patients you know a gynecological cancer patient may have pelvic floor issues following their surgery as might a patient who's had prostate cancer treatment particularly the prostatectomies um so they might need to pelvic floor intervention anyone that's had abdominal surgery would benefit from coming in and seeing us for for some core stability work teaching them how to exercise safely if they've now got a stoma in place for example Um, one area where we've really developed react here in cambridge is for our sarcoma patients so those those soft tissue and those those bone cancers that involve large resections and sometimes amputations of of a limb as well um, sort of getting them back back to where they where they want to be and where does it fit in with pancreatic cancer 
So with pancreatic cancer, it it can be, again, anywhere along along the spectrum. The first introduction that we often get for the for the pancreatic patients is, is quite close after diagnosis uh, for those patients where they are considering surgery. So we know that only 10% of patients go on for surgery anyway, so it's not, it's not huge numbers per se, um, but it's quite major surgery that they might ultimately require. And they need to be well enough, fit enough to go through that that challenge of surgery. So one of the the newer concepts in cancer rehab and in other areas of, of the NHS as well is prehabilitation. So trying to optimize someone pre-surgery or pre-chemotherapy um, for their for the challenge ahead. And you're hoping there that those patients will be optimized, that there will be a shorter recovery period, that there'll be less post-operative or post-treatment um, consequences and, and complications, um, and that there will be you know less ongoing side effects and hopefully long-term behavioral change with those those groups as well. So that's often where we're involved with with pancreatic cancer um, and then we do have them coming along to our classes wanting to become generally generally fitter it might be that they're then going to be scheduled chemotherapy um, and so they want to be uh, in good condition for that um, it might be abdominal muscle rehab a bit like what we would for the other abdominal surgical patients you know the you know especially post whipples procedure that's a big surgical intervention and sometimes there is um ongoing weakness and scar tissue issues with the abdominal area. And so we would want to work on that and try and get them stronger. We know that people that are quite weak around the abdominal area, they are more likely to have pelvic floor issues. They're more likely to have back pain. And that's not something that we want that patient group to experience. We want any patient group to experience. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that might be what the focus, focus is. I think we all know that cancer treatment is exhausting. No matter how fit you are, it, it takes it out of you, to say yeah. the least. How do you get that balance right then of getting people to do some exercises, getting people to do that rehabilitation when their bodies have been through so much already? Yeah, it, it is a very fine line. Um, and you've you've got to get that, that information out correctly to patients. I think you need to sell the benefits so the patient can see the benefits for themselves, how it might have an impact on on them. I think that's the the first thing is 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 educating. Um, and then you've got to think about that individual. You know, how are you going to to approach exercise? You know, some patients are already very physically active, they're very fit, and it's a case of wanting to return back to that level of what they were before. But there are a lot of patients out there who are exercise novices, who you know don't own any trainers, don't own jogging bottoms, and us coming in saying, oh, moderate intensity exercise, get yourself warm and, you know, hot and sweaty and, you know, short of breath. That's just, that's just too daunting. Um, when I'm talking or when I'm counseling someone about exercise, I like to think of it in, in three phases. So the first thing really is to try and get them to reduce their sedentary behavior. So we know with with sedentary behavior, which is any waking behavior where they, you know, where they're sitting, they're not doing anything else, that can be associated with um 
negative impacts on the on their on their health on their quality of life um so it's important that we try and address that so i like to say to patients you know they should try and break up what they're doing try and break up that seated time maybe after 30 to 40 minutes they get up they they move around um and that they do something that you know they don't go back to that position for at least five minutes Okay, so sometimes I tell people to go, you know, if they're going to the toilet, but instead of using the downstairs toilet, go and use the stair- the toilet upstairs. So they then go up the stairs, have the go to the toilet, and then come back down again. Yep. So is <laughs> that um, maybe they go and they do some deep breathing exercises. Maybe this is the opportunity to go and do some pelvic floor exercises. You know, it's a change of position um, before you go back to having a rest, watching the television, go back to your desk. So I think that that's a good habit for for anyone to do, not just cancer patients. That should be for all of us. I mean, I I really should get up every 30 to 40 minutes myself, I think. So that's a good starting point. Um, And then I will talk to patients about becoming more physically active. So, you know, walking upstairs rather than taking taking lifts, parking that little bit further away from their, their sort of ultimate destination so that walking in, um, doing the housework at a, at a quicker pace, um, you know, taking up a hobby, doing DIY or gardening before you then talk about how they might transition into, into exercise. And, you know, with exercise for most people, walking will be will be a good starting point okay it's not the preferred exercise for for all people but you know it's a good good um way to get started and encouraging them to go with someone thinking about circular routes so they're never going too far from home keeping hydrated bearing in mind what the weather's doing um as well good footwear is a good good thing to th- consider um and that they should generally gently then start to increase their their frequency of what they're of what they're doing and to to note their exertion and that's really important okay so we do know that the evidence supports moderate intensity exercise during cancer treatment because there's a lot of benefits associated with that so moderate intensity exercise is where you do feel a little bit warm you do feel a little bit sweaty that you know your heart rate's possibly gone up um if you're on beta blockers then it won't but for those of you that aren't then your heart rate will go up a little bit you should find that you're starting to breathe a little bit quicker as well so your respiratory rate goes up the important thing with it is that you should feel like you're working somewhat hard. You should feel like you can still talk in full sentences. So you're not absolutely gasping for breath. Okay. You can still get your words out. And that's really, that's what moderate intensity exercise is. And that's what we would be encouraging for the majority of, of cancer patients. But I don't always come straight in with that. I'll talk about the reducing sedentary behavior first, just to, just to ease them in. Because it's true, isn't it? So for some people, you know, activity is part of life but for others if you say anything about exercise it's automatically it's quite scary it could be like oh does that mean i'm running a marathon does that mean i'm swimming a, a marathon or whatever the big distance of swimming i have to swim the channel you know it feels but even just starting can feel like starting a marathon for, for people can't it yeah yeah and i think it can be really daunting i think people feel that they you know they need to to invest in lycra um <laughs> you know and jump on a bike and, and head off to a zumba class or something and it it doesn't need to be 
that at all. And, you know, we talk about moderate intensity exercise, you know, that can be activities around the house. It it doesn't need to be this formal exercise. It can be you, you know, doing some DIY. It can be doing some some gardening. I often give the example, we had, we got a Labrador after, uh, during lockdown rather. And actually now the whole, (laughs) whole process of vacuuming, trying to get that fur out of the carpet, actually I get hot and sweaty and slightly short of breath doing that. So, you know, that's absolutely fine. That would definitely tick the moderate intensity intensity box certainly i'm nodding along vigorously i have a cat who ah. sheds everywhere yes <laughs> Every... I, we feel the pain of it yeah i'm with you on that one it's yeah just... <laughs> a cat they said it'll be no he won't be fun <laughs> he is. He's, he's great so you mentioned that you see benefits what are those benefits that you see it's interesting you ask that because actually for for a long time, you know, watching patients go through chemotherapy or radiotherapy, I kind of did notice those patients that did continue to walk the dog during their treatment, you know, so they, they had a reason to get out every day, get the fresh air because they had to because of the dog. They seemed to do just that that little bit better. So you couldn't quite put your finger on it, but they, they seemed to tolerate treatment um, a lot better than, than other patients. And then a lot of the, the research started to come out about the benefits of exercise. And I guess if we go back to the beginning, you know, when you had a diagnosis of cancer, maybe, you know, 20 years ago, for example, the advice was rest is best, you know, that they should be taking it easy, that that patient maybe should be getting someone else to walk the dog and that they should be giving up work, that someone else should be picking the children up from school, that they should be, you know, stopping all of these other hobbies and activities that they they love. And even from diagnosis, before that patient even started treatment, they are already less active than what they, what they were. And so what was noticed was that actually... Um, cancer patients or cancer survivors as they as they are termed you know they were far more at risk of developing um, uh, cardiovascular disease diabetes osteoporosis and becoming overweight as a result of of going through cancer treatment and becoming inactive plus all the side effects of becoming um, inactive as well so you know the muscle wasting the reduced bone density um, cholesterol levels go up pulmonary function goes down and so we can't really have that that patients are in worse condition after after treatment even though survival is going up which is great we don't want people developing these other long-term um health conditions. So researchers started looking at putting exercise interventions in place during and after cancer treatment, which was a completely novel approach. It really, that's not what was done. We very much wrapped our patients up in in cotton wool, if you like. Um, And then the research started to come out and it was suggesting certainly that being physically active participating in regular exercise could reduce a lot of the treatment related side effects. So things like cancer related fatigue, um, incidence of nausea and vomiting, pain scores. So pain scores are much lower in, in patients that are more physically active. And because pain scores are lower, their analgesic use is is much lower as well. Sleep disturbance is less, um, quality of life is improved, depression and anxiety, uh, the incidence is less and the severity is less for those conditions. There's even an immune system response. So they do believe that actually it can boost your natural killer cell um, activity and decrease the risk of neutropenia and neutropenic sepsis. So all of those reasons to be physically active during treatment 
And then it started to come out that actually there might be a prognostic benefit as well. So certainly um, for some tumour types, they found that participating in regular exercise, particularly that moderate intensity exercise, it can reduce the risk of, of recurrence and metastasis to other parts of the body, um, which, you know, I don't think anyone was expecting really. Uh, they certainly, they think that it might be down to a number of different factors. So it's not just one single reason why that might be. Um, some of it is the impact that it has on the immune system. Some of it is the impact that it has on, on your growth factor, your insulin resistance. Um, the, it modifies the inflammatory response as well, as well as keeping weight sort of at a healthy, healthy balance. So this sounds fantastic, especially for people that are going through treatment, especially for people who are in that recovery phase as well. Sadly, we know that pancreatic cancer generally doesn't have the survival rate that we would like it to have. How does exercise, rehabilitation, physio, how does that all fit in when people have maybe moved on to an end of life care treatment plan? Certainly with pancreatic cancer, um, the patients can unfortunately be more, more unwell, um, even, even at the point of diagnosis. Um, so unlike patients that have been picked up from a screening program, you know, because of a lump or a, a mammogram or what have you, they, they've, they're already systemically unwell and have probably lost weight because of that they've lost muscle strength um so they you know they're quite unwell when you when you first meet them but that does also give us the opportunity for to work on on specific areas as well so you know strength and conditioning and you know getting those muscles as strong as they possibly can regaining independence and function even when in the situation where it might not change the the eventual outcome of of the disease there's still something to be said about you know living the life that's that's left really and we do have a lot of patients with quite advanced disease with incurable cancer who are coming towards end of life um and i think initially you know quite can be quite dismissive of well what you know what's the, what's the point why why do i need to but if you can make small changes and make suggestions so that you know that patient can then sleep better it you know they can manage their fatigue much better so that actually they're able to enjoy the time with their friends and family that they are still able to participate in in activities around around the house around the garden that can still be really really worthwhile as well and there's been some lovely studies that have looked at um, end of life and the benefits of physical activity and exercise and actually you can see that people's quality of life improves even though their disease is is progressing and we we see that in the in the class as well um i had one gentleman in the in the class and he was with us quite quite a while because the disease had had progressed um and it was the safest place for him to come in and, and do that that activity and do the exercise um and you know he was able to still be swimming with his with his children um you know three weeks before he passed away and you know, both he and his wife and, you know, myself, we felt that he wouldn't have been able to do that had he not kind of had the the right mindset and the the skills to be to be physically active, to know what what he could and, and couldn't do. And it's little things like that that do make that difference, isn't it? So it's, it, you know, those memories that those children are going to have still that they were with their dad swimming with him. And that, you know, that makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? 
yeah oh yeah no I think that can be a huge a huge difference as well something um you know we often talk to patients about is because historically you haven't seen cancer patients exercise and be and be physically active so actually it's not particularly well publicized and one of the biggest barriers to being to being active when you end of life can be can be family and friends sometimes can be them sort of again wrapping you up in in cotton wool and it's all well meaning they're trying to do it, yeah they're doing yeah. it with love aren't they absolutely and so you know sometimes patients do want to they almost feel like there's a social responsibility that they want to show others that you know you don't you can get out and about you can enjoy the 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 fresh air and you can be an, an advocate for for being physically active even towards the end of end of life um what i tend to find is that some patients have good days and, and bad days and some i'm not always comfortable with using the term bad day because i think already that puts a negative spin on things doesn't it um however if you've got a plan in place so that you are if you're having a bad day, okay, you might not get out into the fresh air and do that walk that you were planning to do, but maybe have three activities that you can still do in the house um, so you don't feel like that day's a failure. I think that's really important. So almost having a, a bit of a, a directory of things that you can do so that you can still feel that you've achieved something. Um, and so sometimes I will get patients to think about maybe doing some deep breathing exercises, or maybe they're going to do their core stability, their Pilates exercises, but doing them lying on the sofa. Um, maybe they're going to do um, some stretches. Or they're going to do some hand massage because actually they've got peripheral neuropathy. So they're going to do hand and feet or get someone to help with that. Or they're going to do some skin brushing to try and reduce any swelling in in the limb and maybe choose three of those activities to do. And actually what I find is that not only do patients do those three activities, actually then you know, towards the end of that day on that afternoon, actually they do feel a bit better and actually they get out and do it might just be a 10 minute walk in the afternoon, but where they, at the beginning of the day, they think it's going to be an absolute write off. Actually, by the end of the day, they do feel empowered because they've achieved those three things still. And maybe they have ultimately gone, gone for a walk. So I was going to accuse you of conning people into going into the exit, doing the work. Oh no, as (laughs) if, as if. (laughs) My sister's an occupational therapist. I know all the tricks. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We will try anything. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a, a good way of, of of thinking about it. We we did discuss it in one group, and I think one suggestion was calling it an inset day, a bit like the you know what they do for schools, and then it stands for you know I need something else or I need something extra day if you if you like. So I think that's quite a good way of of thinking thinking about it rather than writing it off as a as a, a bad day per se. And, you know, we're talking about sleep as well, you know, not underestimating the impact of, you know, physical activity can have on your, have on your sleep. Sometimes doing some exercise doesn't necessarily increase the time you are asleep for, but it can improve, it can improve the quality. 
Um, and that can make a huge difference for, for patients, not just in fatigue management, but just as a as a whole, really. And with that, I'll often talk about sleep hygiene. So, you know, not having the television in the in the bedroom, um, not doing anything particularly physically challenging a couple of hours before bedtime as well, because sometimes that can make you a little bit more more wired. Um, one of the hardest things these days is, you know, powering down those devices. So I think the advice is, you know, you shouldn't be going on phones and, and laptops and, and iPads three hours before you go to go to bed because of all the blue light. I know we're all grimacing at that. Um, and that's because of the impact it has on your circadian rhythm and um you know, the release of the sleep hormone, which is, is melatonin, that can all be affected. So that's why people sleep is so disrupted. Um, but yeah, putting things like that can can help as well. So it's trying to look at the patient as a whole is this whole idea of holistic therapy. It's not just about the exercise. It's about the other elements to it. For some patients, we do need to talk a lot about, about hydration as well. I was about to say, it just feels like such a holistic way of looking at somebody. It's not just they're having cancer treatment. It's about... I hate the word wellness because I think everyone just associates it with green juice and yoga. And it's not about that at all. It's about making sure someone is well, isn't it? And as well as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. And we do use other types of exercise as well. So I, you know, I teach Pilates and I teach Tai Chi and Tai Chi is one of those uh in particular where it, it is very good for mindfulness because you do you are in that moment, you are thinking about what you're doing, you've got to follow the instruction. It's different to Pilates and yoga where you can switch off and go on autopilot and then let your mind wander. And so you're thinking about, oh yeah, I've got radiotherapy later this afternoon or I've got, um, you know, I've got results tomorrow. Tai Chi doesn't let you do that in the same way. You are there present in that moment. And the thing about Tai Chi is it's fantastic because actually that's a good way of tricking people to become more more physically active because it's such a great exercise for people with joint pain, um, for reducing risk of falls because it improves your balance. Even if you're doing it in sitting, it still has all of these other, other benefits for physical functioning. Yes, it's not going to tick all the boxes for your moderate intensity exercise, but the benefits it can give you, um, you know, again, looking at the whole person and the, the holistic side of things really important and exercise you mentioned about the sitting down you can do exercises sitting down can't you it doesn't oh, have absolutely. to be running up big hills yeah yeah and that's why i said about you know we we often refer to walking and that's because walking is the the universal exercise okay it's the the thing that most people can relate to but there are going to be people out there that don't enjoy walking in particular or have got hip pain or back pain that really prohibits that being the go-to go to exercise so yeah other forms of exercise absolutely fine to do um, and you can do moderate intensity exercise in, in sitting one of the research studies that i'm involved with um, here at adambrooks we we have done a moderate intensity seated exercise program for exactly those patients who maybe are too unsteady you know even marching on the spot is not is not suitable but they can do things in sitting you know with baked bean cans and you know waving their arms in the air and and punching the air and uh, and what have you or using therabands and they can still achieve that more moderate intensity exercise um but in a safe seated situation thank you so much to nicola for spending time with me and sharing so much about exercise and physiotherapy and where it all fits in remember 
We're here every weekday. Yep, that's a new episode with you every Monday to Friday throughout November. And if you want to find out a bit more about us, you can go to purplerainbow.co.uk.